Amen. Very beautiful. Awesome, awesome time of worship. And I want to dive in this morning. We're going to keep going into the series of winning the year. And this week we're going to be dealing with life's problems and dealing with the problems we have. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 37. It's maybe a chapter that you know or heard before. It's the Valley of Dry Bones. And uh, I want us to uh, get some energy and be energized about the questions that God asked Ezekiel. And this was a prophecy about uh, his people, the children of Israel, um, having their own nation and becoming a people again. Um, kind of the context of this scripture is the people of God had been in captivity in Babylon for over 10 years. So they had lost hope. And I think uh, the most important thing that you can have going through your life of faith is hope. Uh, scripture tells us that hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, and I want a lot of non-sick Christians in this place. Amen. So uh, why don't we open the word uh, with prayer, and uh, we will dive right in. Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for the beautiful time of worship, Lord Jesus. God, cleanse our hearts and make us more like you. What an amazing prayer and proclamation, Lord Jesus. We don't want you to give us more money and Give us more stuff. We need to become more like you. And we thank you for that, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Facing problems. Maybe we've gotten to the point where we aren't even facing the problems anymore. In fact, we kind of turn a deaf ear to it or a blind eye. We completely walk away from it. We've given up. Uh, of course, giving up is a whole lot easier, isn't it? And uh, don't want to have a show of hands out there in the audience, but how many of you have felt like you've just given up and it's just a whole easier thing to do that? We crumple up the paper, we throw it away. When I was kind of writing this, I was thinking of our life's problems and we just kind of crumple it up and we just throw it away and we get rid of it. Maybe our problems have compounded to the place to where they're like a big onion and now we don't know the end from the beginning. Maybe it's like the tube of toothpaste it's like, how do you get the toothpaste back in the tube? And it's pretty hard to do that. But uh, God steps on the scene, and I want us to watch what God does. And as we start with Ezekiel 37, we see the Lord took hold of me, in verse 1. And I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to the valley filled with bones. He led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones become living people again? O sovereign Lord, I replied, you alone know the answer to that. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Look, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I spoke this message just as He told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscle and flesh formed over the bones and then skin formed to cover their bones, but they still had no breath in them. And then he said to me, speak a prophetic message to the wind, son of man. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath. 
from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bones so they may live again. And so I spoke the message as he commanded me and breath came into the bodies. They all came to life and stood up and their feet a great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying, We have become old dry bones. All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again. And then I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And when this happens, O my people, you know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and you will return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done what I have said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. I think it's so important for us to understand, although this has every prophetic implication, it's all about the rebuilding of the nation of Israel. And obviously all points point to the end times of what's going on. If you want to watch a prophetic map, just keep your eyes focused over there and see what God is doing with the people of Israel and how revival is sparking. But watch what God does in our personal lives. Does God speak to dry bones in our own heart? I love what He does here. At the very beginning it says, The Lord took hold of me. They led me all around the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere. They were completely dried out. The first thing that God does for you and me is He takes hold of us. He doesn't leave you in the middle of the mess, lost and confused. He runs to you, He holds you, and He draws you in. In fact, let me give you some scriptures of hope as you're dealing with the valley of dry bones in your own life. He sings over you, the Bible tells us. He dances over us. He celebrates over us. The Bible gives us a promise that He leaves the 99 99 well to go after the one lost sheep. He picks you up and He dusts you off. And I think for most of us, if we look in our own lives, every one of us have things that nothing barring short of a miracle is what we need. We don't need God to fix things and to adjust things. Nothing short of a miracle. And I think we serve a miracle-working God. Luke 12, 32, and I started to cry when I thought about this in my own life. I'm tight faced so I'm a strong guy. But let me tell you something, I'm a really weak guy. <laughs> Luke 12, 32 says, this is Jesus speaking, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Jesus Christ didn't give us an earthly kingdom. He didn't give us, you know, the United States per se. We don't, we don't abide by that. We abide by the other kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And that's how come Jesus didn't fret when the Caesars of the day would pass laws and do things that didn't line up with the Bible. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Don't fret, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. I want to ask you a question 
Just as Jesus or God asked Ezekiel the question as He took him through and you look at the landscape of your life and you look over here and you say, well, that's dead. There's no way that's coming back. And that's dead. That's hopeless. And we go from place to place and we open up closets. And if you think about your mind, our mind is full of little closets, isn't it? We have little closets we've swept things into. We've compartmentalized our problems. We've compartmentalized our chaos to kind of get through. But I want to kind of get to a place where we say, Lord, I want you to walk through every closet in my mind right now. Walk through my closet. Take me through. Grab hold of me, God, and help me to deal with the problems and the issues that I'm facing in my mind right now. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. When I ask you, where does your mind take you these days? You know, there's all these psychological studies right now of what the pandemic is doing to people. And they're actually saying, you know, everybody's completely wore out. We can get a hearty amen with that. People have hit walls and people are going to psychologists and having Zoom meetings and talking through things. And they've lost all that. In fact, there are chemicals in our brain that do that. It's the adrenaline that we get. And people are out of energy with this. I find myself at time asking God because now we're kind of getting into the really almost the year anniversary now of when this pandemic officially hit the United States and, and people were affected by it in so many different ways, whether it be financially or physically, emotionally, maybe you're in your household, you were affected by it personally and you dealt with this. But I want you to know, where is your mind taking you these days? It's so important. I call it lazy thinking. Turn to someone on your couch right now in your 68-degree home and say, lazy thinking. And I'm going to take a water break here real quick. Whatever our mind are fixed on at the moment, we allow that thought to stay there, don't we? We get a thought in our head about something, and we think because we're thinking it, it's a good thought. I've said this before. Not every thought that comes into our head is a good thought. Can we amen on that one? Can we all agree on that one? So every thought that's coming into our head, we have lazy thinking. So the thought comes into our head, and we don't deal with it. I hate to say it again, it's a verse we all know. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Jeannie Allen writes, if our toddler is throwing a fit in the grocery store, we correct him, we redirect him, yet we have allowed our minds to have outright meltdowns with zero correction. If our toddler is throwing a fit in the grocery store, we correct him, we redirect him, yet we have allowed our minds to have outright meltdowns and with zero correction. I want to challenge us in the church today. Have our thoughts gotten to the place where we're having meltdowns? Do we look like the toddler in the grocery store wanting the cookies or wanting the Lucky Charms? Boy, Lucky Charms are the best thing in the world. And your mom gives you that like grass cereal. What is this? I want the lucky charms, Mom. Are we like that with the Lord right now? We didn't get our way. And so we don't get our way. And we're through the valley of dry bones. And many of us, we're grabbing God by the hand and we're proving to God why those dry bones won't wake up. We'll look it over here and this here. And, you know, we're just going through the election cycle. Thank God it's over. Amen. We got through that and we said, well, this solidifies it. Well, this must be it. 
Are we throwing fits without any redirection or recoil? Are we throwing fits in our mind? Our mind is not stayed on the Lord. So every headline coming through, every situation we face, we don't struggle through it, we don't wrestle with it, we just allow it. Your mind is a beautiful thing to waste. Let me challenge you to this. If you're going to scroll through social media feeds for three hours, then do me a favor. Scroll through your Bible for three and a half. If you're going to go through garbage the rest of your dying days, then don't you dare tell me you're trying. Because you're not. And if you allow the prophets and politicians of the news feeds to give you your energy, you will never have it. You will never be able to walk through dry bones with any sense of hope or balance because your circumstance will dictate to you the outcome. If your toddler is throwing a fit in the grocery store, we correct him and we redirect him. Yet we have allowed our minds to have outright meltdowns with no correction. Folks, I'm scared of the Western church because many times we are weak and God says we can be strong. We are out of balance because we have lacked the ability to speak prophetically the Word of God to circumstances we're facing and we just give up. I'm afraid many times we give up. By the way, the second thing that God does He doesn't just stay there. He asks him a rhetorical question, basically. He says, hey, Ezekiel, God already knew that these dry bones could live again. He knew what he was doing with the nation of Israel. He knew that in spite of the ten years of them being in Babylon and mistreated and them being in a place of hopelessness, God knew that there was hope. I don't care if it's been ten years, twelve years, fifteen years. God always has a plan for you. And I don't care where captivity means to you. I don't care what you've been dragged through. I don't know the circumstances. But I do know that if you're alive and you're breathing, there is hope. So the second thing God does is He gets Ezekiel involved. See, the church, we're the body of Christ. He says that He has put Satan under our foot. Not his foot, but the church's foot. So that during the pandemic and during things going on, God says, you can get involved with this. You can do things. You're not stuck. To come alongside God, he says, just as he expected the disciples, by the way. Remember the disciples said, man, we can't do anything with this person And Jesus said, man, how long am I going to be here with you? Remember that? He's talking to his disciples. They're like, we don't know what to do. He's like, how long am I going to be with you guys? They couldn't cast the demon out of that guy. Feeding the 5,000. Hey, he asks them a question. How are you going to feed them? How am I going to feed them? Ezekiel 37, can these bones become living again? Ezekiel gives a good answer. It's kind of a padded answer because he didn't want to get too sure. He's like, only, only you know, God. 
How many have said that before in your situation? God, only you know. I don't know. And that's a beautiful place to be of not knowing and just allowing God to be God. God, only you know. I don't know all the answers, what's going on in my life right now, but I knew God. I know God, only you know. Jenny Allen writes, you don't have to dwell on every horrible thing that may never happen in your life. See, many of us have contingencies and we have thought about every horrible thing that may never even happen. How many of us have been guilty of thinking about every horrible thing that may never happen? What are you predetermining right now? What are you predetermining in America? You know, Abagus and Acts had said that there was going to be this drought, worldwide drought. He prophesied it. He said there's going to be a drought you know, all the disciples, they didn't panic and they didn't say, how did the drought happen? Who's the cause of this? You know what the disciples decided to do? They decided to go, okay, how are we going to help people during this drought? And I think the church tries to reconfigure plans and predetermine things and say, well, this is happening because of this and that. Can we just say we're in a big mess and we need God's intervention? Jeannie Allen writes, You have a choice right now regarding what you live for. We are not subject to our behaviors, genes, or circumstances. We are not subject to our passions, our lusts, or emotions. We are not subject to our thoughts. We have a choice because we are conquerors who possess weapons to destroy strongholds. We rarely get to choose our circumstances, but Paul said we have a choice about how we think about sometimes challenging things. Folks, you can't determine your circumstances. But there's a lot you can determine about how you think about something that you're facing, some challenging event. I think that's a huge, powerful place to be, that you do have a choice in those strongholds. And you do have an opportunity to speak life and not death. You do have an opportunity to pray when no one else is praying. You have an opportunity to stand when no one else is standing. And by the way, you have an opportunity to praise when no one else is praising. You have a choice regarding what you live for. Every spiral in your life, by the way, have you ever seen your mind spiral out of control? Why is it that our thoughts always go to the worst place in the world? You know, I had a simple little thought in my head. I was going to the post office and we go there to pick up our checks. You always like to get a pile of checks in the morning for work. You know, money's a good thing. It's important to have. We go there and I got this one check and it was just how your mental thoughts are. And I actually asked the Lord to repent me even for this little thing because if you don't ask the Lord to repent even for the little thoughts, then when the big thoughts come, you're going to be in a a big mess. Your thoughts spiral out of control. I go to the post office and I get the envelopes and there was an envelope from a condo association and I'm like what is this letter well given the pandemic that we've been in I was like oh man they're canceling service we're never going to see these customers again and I was going through this in my head as I'm walking out the door I'm like yet another casualty of this pandemic oh god help Steve and I open it up and all it is is a W-9 form for the end of year tax stuff And I sat there for a minute as I opened it up and I'm like, Lord, why do we always... And it's a simple little thing and it was not a big deal, but at the same time it was a big deal because I go, God, why does our mind always go to the dumbest places? 
Do you, is, it, is, it, is it possible that we have very low expectations? Is it possible that we have very low expectations, not only for those around us and the circumstances we deal with, we have really low expectations for ourselves. Every spiraling thought we have can be interrupted. You don't have to interrupt it, though. You can keep going to what I call the stupid places. Keep going there. Keep going there. Do your future that way. Do your present that way. Do your past that way. Keep spiraling out. Don't stop it. Be like a kid in a candy store who didn't get his way. Go into your panics, but you can stop it. God will not stop it for you. Anybody having any spiraling thoughts right now? Jenny Allen writes, but we don't simply need our spiraling thoughts to stop. We need our minds redeemed. Not a self-generated declaration, loud and passionate, though it may be, can bring about liberation. Instead, we need a complete transformation. Our minds exchanged for the mind of Christ. What a beautiful thing that you and I have the opportunity. God says in present tense that we are to put on the mind of Christ. Putting on the mind of Christ is a conscious reaction to His Word. It's not just simply reading His Word. You can read this Word from front to back, back to forward, and have everything memorized, and yet not simply even apply one promise that God gave you and me, his precious promise to say, put my mind on. I don't know about you, but I have stinking thinking a lot of the time of the week. And every day I need to be reminded that I am a sheep in need of a shepherd. And you know, sheep are really, really lost by themselves. Sheep, they don't even, they're the most weakest animal. You know, I want to be described as like a cheetah or something. Or a bear. A bear would be awesome. I want to be a grizzly bear or a polar bear. Wouldn't, but God didn't say, Steve the great polar bear. He said, Steve, my little sheep, follow me. It does, what it washes in me and what it gave me a revelation this week when he said, my little flock, I realized my precious place that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. It's not going to be this self-empowering generated declaration, loud and passionate though it may be, we need complete transformation. Our minds exchanged for the mind of Christ. Can these bones live again, Ezekiel? Lord, only you know. Now God gets Ezekiel involved. He says, Ezekiel, you speak this message. We'd like to have God speak the message. We have a special messenger God wants to use this week. We bring in a special speaker. We bring in this evangelist because they're really good at saving people because I'm lazy bones and I don't want to share God's Word. So let's hire a guest person and we'll put a sign out in the front and tell all the sinners out there to come into church to get saved. But God calls you and I those people. Speak this message, Steve. Look. I'm going to put breath in you and make you live again. 
And the Spirit of the Lord works in your life, by the way. He breathes life into you, and you breathe life into the situation. God doesn't make me feel good today just so I can feel good. God fills me with His Spirit so that I can pour His Spirit out, so to speak, in other people. Because I'm touching people. Because I'm involved with people. Because I'm doing things that God has called me to do. A.W. Tozer writes, If God is exalted, a thousand minor problems will be solved at once. May you get that today. Your thousand problems will be solved at once because God is exalted. I think the church is beautiful when we rise together and we exalt the name of the Lord. The name above every name, a thousand minor problems will be solved and some of us are already saying that because our mind spirals out of control. Well, a thousand minor problems, but he doesn't say a thousand major problems, Pastor. How about this? God is exalted and a thousand major problems are solved. You say, well, my problems aren't solved. Well, yes, they are, because once you have given those things to Christ, you understand that he is taking care of the situation. Look at the world around you. C.S. Lewis writes, If you think this world is a place intended for simply our happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. Think of it as a place for training and correction, and it is not so bad. <laughs> I think of that. We think about the world supposed to make me happy. Well, I'm not happy right now. We're all look, looking for personal happiness. I'm not happy with this. And we get that, and we're, we're not happy again. And all these kind of things. I can tell you right now, even with work, we got the PPP thing and the PPP2 came and I was happy about that. And just a few short days after PPP2 comes, Steve is already thinking about PPP15. I mean, my goodness, mentally, we go to these places and we don't realize that God cares for us and He knows the end of the beginning. He knows every chapter and we can be hidden in Christ. If you think the world's a place intended simply for our happiness you will find it quite intolerable. Can you find any kind of crazy things going on in any street corners right now? Think of it as a place of training and correction and it is not so bad. By the way, don't, don't we forget that the world's groaning? Jesus said you'll always have wars and rumors of wars and you'll always have violent this side of eternity. Will Durant wrote this about civilization. He said civilization is a stream with banks. The stream sometimes is filled with blood from people killing and stealing and shooting. And doing things historians usually record, while on the banks, unnoticed, people build homes, they make love, raise children, sing songs, write poetry, and even whittle statues. The story of civilization is the story of what happened on the banks. Historians and journalists are pessimists because they ignore the banks for the river. And I think about civilization today, you think of all the great things that are happening and all God is doing and how he is breaking free and breaking through in people's lives. David Jeremiah said some of the activity on the riverbanks, regrettably, reminds us of church activity, singing songs and having covered dish dinners and enjoying our evangelical culture as we build steeples high enough to block our view of the stream. We need to drive it in, or we need to dive in to make our presence known. You want these problems to go away? God, make it go away. God, just make it go away. Great prayer. But God has us, people of God, dive in. We can't be sheltered inside these little church walls. We need to get involved with people's lives. We are looking for God to insulate us from problems and people. And we are looking to avoid pain and problems. 
And God wants us to breathe life into our problems. Third thing He does is He fills the dry bones with hope. Ezekiel 37.11 says, So He said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel and they are saying we've become old, dry bones. All hope is gone. I told all of you last night in that text to have a little piece of string or rope or twine. If you have those, please grab those. I wanted to describe to you what that word hope means. I was really happy because Carl's here today. By the way, if you need to survive in a wilderness, call Carl because Carl has everything. So he had this beautiful rope and uh, brought it in. So it's a great demonstration of having this long rope here. By the way, that hope, think about this for a minute. These dry bones, all hope is gone. Maybe you're in a place right now in situations where all hope is gone. The word hope means this, tikva. Everyone say tikva. It means expectation. The original meaning was to stretch like a rope. Rahab was instructed to tie the scarlet tikva, quarter rope in her window as hope for rescue. So here's what the church is right now. We're running from problems. We're running from all the bad people out there, all the people that aren't thinking like us evangelicals are. And God is saying, would you throw the rope out? Throw it out. And it represents this hope for rescue. How does God rescue the world? Through His Word. How can people be saved without a preacher? How are people going to know Christ if you're this camouflage person who's offering no hope to nobody. I think one of the most powerful things you can do as being someone to reach out for the gospel is grab someone who needs prayer and pray for them. That's the most unoffensive thing in the world is to say to someone, can I pray for you? What a beautiful thing is God does that in our lives and we become that tikva, which means to stretch like a rope. Folks, we need a, we need a spark right now. I'm one for sparks. It's amazing. We need enthusiasm. We need energy. We need excitement. And you know what saddens me is the church isn't too excited right now. I don't think in heaven they're having board meetings in their boardrooms of heaven going, oh, Gabriel, can, what, oh man, Moses, can you, can you come back? And what are we going to do? We have all the guys up here. We have no help. Down. What are we going to do? I don't think the corridors of heaven are pulling hair and going, what do we do? Do you know what I think the corridors of heaven are waiting for? Is for people, men and women, children, adults to rise up and to proclaim the name of Jesus. We don't have special circumstances. We never had. The church needs a spark right now. Are we excited about God right now? I feel that the church of the West, it's almost like we're going to a funeral service. Memory lane. The God of 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40, pick your decade. And we have the little slideshows and pictures. And we go over in time and history. And we say, God's here and all is special. And we have those kind of memories. But see, God is not a God of 
memories per se. He's not a memory lane God. I've said it before, our God is a futuristic God and He is waiting for people to throw out the tikvah, the rope, the rope, the cord of hope for rescue. And God calls us to be rescuers. He fills us with hope. Ginny Allen writes, Cynicism has become esteemed in our culture as if we've concluded that cynics know something the rest of us don't. They're prepared and they're guarded and aware at a level the rest of us are too flighty to grasp. But at its core, cynicism isn't too wonderful at all. Cynicism is always driven by fear of the future or by anger regarding the past. Either we're afraid of something that might never occur or we project something that has occurred onto all the days that are to come. We buy into the lie that it's too risky to be vulnerable or hope for good things. Has the church become full of cynicism? Has the church been too scared or too hurt? Too afraid to hope? And now what we're doing is because of something that's happened here, we're projecting that moment on everything else in our life. And now our rope has gone from outside the window like Rahab the harlot who had the rescue, has now our rope said, I don't want to rescue those folks. This ain't going to happen here. These aren't good ingredients for revival. And we put our rope back in our pockets. Someone once said that motivation doesn't last. I love this response. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. Motivation just doesn't last. We need more than enthusiasm. Really, every day I need to be motivated because every day it's really easy to be grumpy. Every day it's really easy for me to be upset about something. We don't have to take survey, but everyone in here can probably list emphatically. In fact, you'll probably see it in people's writing style. I can imagine putting a writing board up here and say, what are you upset about today? And people would march up here and say, Ooh, watch out for that. And, and you would even see it. They're just writing fast. They're writing fast. You know how you write fast when you're mad? And the ink, the ink is harder. Dot, dot that exclamation point. Never forget that old Seinfeld episode where Elaine was mad because this person was writing and all he would use is exclamation points for everything he would do. So she's like, she was really bothered. She's like, he's using too many exclamation points. And the whole episode was about exclamation points. But has the church in the West become nothing more than a bunch of exclamation points? Do you, do you need a bath every day? I think we need motivation every day. So, well, where is that biblically? Emo, you know, that's an emotion. I'm not an emotional person. You are an emotional person. That's the problem. So you don't understand that God put emotion in you to drive you. Haggai 1 in verse 14 said, The Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel to build. So he sparked something in him, and that word was enthusiasm. He gave him energy. The reason why people train and the reason why people study, the reason why we even do church is because we're excited about the things of God. We have hope. We have hope. 
We have something the world can never offer. We have hope. The world can't give this. The world hopes that you get a good job with a great career, with a big house, and a couple cool cars, and if you live long enough, you might be able to retire early enough to enjoy it and then die. That's a lot of hope, isn't it? That's really great impartation into your children on what they're to live for. But I have hope because I will never die. I will live forevermore because I have Jesus Christ living inside of me, the Spirit of God, resurrection, so that when my body goes into the grave, Steve Lapp and a whole lot of other people are going to live forever in heaven. And because of that, I have fellowship and I have found my only hope. We must start catching a fire and see that God is moving. Brenna Brown wrote, and daring greatly, if we're afraid that the feeling of joy won't last or there won't be enough or that the transition disappointment or whatever is in store for us next will be too difficult, we've learned that giving into joy is at best setting ourselves up for disappointment and at worst, inviting disaster. Many of us think by living with like, people with hope and people with joy, the joy of the Lord being our strength, that we're setting ourselves up or maybe we're the type of people that something good happens and we think, well man, right behind that there's going to be four other bad things. I want to tell you, no matter what you go through, you can march through life with hope. The Lord is looking to spark enthusiasm in His church once again. And it won't rely on political persuasion, by the way. It will rely on the kingdom of God. Hebrews 13.6 says, The Lord is my helper. You know, it's funny. We're in January, which is the Right to Life month, and we're celebrating that. Do you know, we really need to change culture. There was this great guy on Family Life today who was one of the senators that spoke, and he was talking about this millennial generation and do you know that he's saying because cultural people are swinging that the millennial culture are a people that agree totally with life and agree with pro-life concepts and how important that baby is. He said culturally they might be the generation that completely wipes it out. Culturally, God is moving the Lord is looking to spark enthusiasm once again. Hebrews 13.6, by the way, you can't do this on your own strength. Next week we're going to be talking about this, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit declares the Lord. But we're not going there yet. The Lord is my helper. I want you to take that verse. I love that verse. It's simple. Hebrews 13.6. Maybe post it somewhere. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your steering wheel. The Lord is my helper. I can tell you that Ezekiel couldn't go through the valley all by himself. Have you ever felt like you've been alone and that you're going by yourself? You've never been alone. He didn't have the vision or the strength to see these bones live again, and neither do you. You don't have the strength to look at dead things in your life on your own and have any kind of depth perception about the moment. Because your thoughts and my thoughts spiral out of control. We think of all the worst things and we have all the contingencies lined up and yet we see a God coming through there asking Him really important questions when we go through those deep, dark valleys. Do you trust me? Do you know that we're going to get through this? Do you know these bones can live again? 
The Lord is my helper. I want you to pray this prayer this week as you hold your little ropes and your little strings. Take your strings with you to work. Put them in your Bible. Put them somewhere where you'll always remember it. I remember Jim during Bible study gave us a little cord and it was a reminder of holding dear to the commands that's on my little gear shifter. So I always touch it. I always rub it as I put it in the drive because I want to be reminded that the commands God says for me is to follow and I'm to attune my heart to His plan for my life, not my own passions. Pray this prayer this week with all your activities. It's a deep prayer. It's a long prayer. But many stubborn people, including myself, have forgotten to pray it. You ready for this prayer? It's a three-word prayer. Okay? Lord, help me. Have you ever ran out of things to pray and how to pray them? You're at a loss for words. Maybe this week as you drive around, you just simply say, Lord, help me. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to know what, what's going to happen in this chapter. We'll figure that out. But you just simply, honestly, as a little sheep, don't be afraid, little flock, for it is my pleasure to give you the kingdom. Lord, help me in this valley. Lord, help me in this chapter. I have to always reattune my mind to those things. Lord, help me. Helper means, by the way, a cry for help. To run. Beathos is the one who comes running when we cry for help. The word describes the Lord as poised and ready to rush to the relief of His oppressed children when they shout for assistance. Sandra, if you want to come up here and start playing. Throw that rope out. Don't put that rope in the pocket. Don't be mad. Don't over-enunciate the problems in your life. God is willing to rescue you. He is poised and ready and willing. And whether it's physical trauma, whether it's spiritual trauma or mental trauma... God is poised to help you. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And maybe today you've forgotten the simplicity of the gospel and faith. doesn't require you to memorize everything this week. doesn't require you to even figure everything out. You and I are the sheep of His pasture. And right now where you're at, maybe hold on to this rope tightly, that little twine, that little piece of rope. Hold it tightly right now. And I want you to know, no matter how hard and you hold on to it, it will never be strong enough. Thank God that He's the one that holds on to you. You can't do this in your own strength. You can't do this in your own will. Why don't we just all close our eyes where we're at for a moment right now. Hold on to that rope. And realize that God is ready to rescue you. Father, I pray for each person that's listening to Your Word right now that, God, they would understand Your rope and the hope that they have in You. That, God, when You walk them through the problems and the chaos and the situations, that not only are You asking them, can these bones live again? But You're asking each and every one of us to speak Your words of life, to speak Your words of hope,
That we're not waiting for a hero to walk in. But God, You are going to use Your words in and through us. Father, thank You for Your church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it and that God, You've put Satan under our feet and that You call us the little flock and You said it's Your joy, it's Your pleasure to give us the kingdom. Father, may we realize today that our minds can be conquered and that those thoughts we have can be brought under control. Now, we're not subject to every little thought that comes into our head. I want us all to pray kind of a cleansing prayer right now. Wherever we're at, dear Jesus, I thank you for giving me a mind. Thank you for giving me your mind. I put your mind on right now. Forgive me for allowing my thoughts to spiral out of control. Father, I've been like a little kid. Help me become mature in my faith. God, I trust you that you're going to get me through this valley and that these dry bones will live again. Thank you for breathing in me. And now I speak life to the things that I see that I don't like right now. And I don't know all the answers. But thank you that I carry life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. And I look forward to not 40 inches of snow and 30 below zero weather next weekend. And thank God for Damien and Joe and Hunter and all those people that have been helping with the sidewalks and uh, getting things going. We're going to have a great weekend next weekend. There's going to be some big surprises next weekend. I hate to do that to you. I'll do some little clickbait stuff. But you're going to want to tune in next week because there's going to be a really cool event at the beginning of service uh, that even Rob doesn't know about yet. Rob, isn't that crazy? I'll have to tell him. So uh, look forward to seeing you next weekend. If you can come join us in person, we sure would love it. We're all spread out. We're doing a great thing here. And until we meet again, God bless you. Don't forget to get your ropes out of your pockets this week. Love you so much. God bless.